I've never thought of getting a tattoo until recently. It's not that I'm squeamish. It's just that my perception of people who have been inked is not always a positive one. It's my fault, I suppose. But today's guest may just have changed my mind. Lal Hardy is one of the leading tattoo artists still plying his trade in his North London New Wave studio since the late 1970s. He's worked in every fashion and cultural cycle from the teddy boys, greasers, skins, punks and goths and tattooed celebrities from famous footballers to iconic musicians. With shaved head and covered in tattoos from dozens of artists around the world, he cuts a daunting figure at first sight. But Lal is a true gentleman and boy has he got incredible stories to tell. He's also author of numerous books on the tattoo industry with his latest tattoo and illustrated miscellany, a beautifully illustrated deep dive into the hidden world of tattoo past and present. I came away from our meeting uplifted and inspired by Lal and his work. This is your London legacy, telling the timeless stories of London's hidden personalities. So here we are today in New Wave Tattoo with the very well-known London-based tattooist Lal Hardy, tattooist to the stars and celebrities and sports people, also multiple author of many books. I think the books are Mammoth Book of New Tattoo, Tattoo Showcase, Tattoo Masters, Tattoo Esoterica, and the most recent book is Tattoo and Illustrated Miscellany, which is a wonderful, beautifully illustrated book, which I've had the pleasure of reading over the last couple of days. So I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today, Lal Hardy. Welcome, Lal. Thank you very much. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here in your, in your. you call it a studio or a parlour? I think they used to be called parlours years ago. Some call them studios, some parlours. I just it's just my kind of passion and love really it's you know it's a place i like to be well it's my first time ever in uh, a place of uh, where, you, where tattoos are carried out and i have to say i was a little bit a uh, little bit in, in trepidation of uh, coming in here because it, it holds a little bit of fear i think over the years from being a kid tattoos were always sort of associated with i don't know i think my parents always thought tattoos were, were for people not like me, you know, who went to a, a, a private school and a good boy from Northwest London. And yet here I am sitting to, sitting here with you. My daughter's now covered in three tattoos and wanting more. And when I told her I was coming to see you, she said, oh, what are you going to get, Dad? And I said, well, well, we'll have to wait and see. So I can see from the books and everything around me in this studio, your passion it's just amazing the collection you've got here and you've been here for how many years now i think i've been at this shop since 1982 82 I yeah i started actually in a place called beaconsfield road in new southgate i i was able to get a, a kit you know looking back at it, it wasn't very good equipment and i was working first in what in victorian times was known as coney hatch lunatic asylum but in later years became free in hospital and is now princess park manor so i was working there and there were lots of times when bits of hospital equipment was thrown out i just got interested in tattooing so i was picking up little bits and pieces hoping one day to have a studio my first studio as i said was in beaconsfield road in the kitchen there and i'd got this tattoo kit as i said not very good equipment looking back on it but I then left the hospital and went to work on Barnet Council as a dustman, which 
we could do a whole podcast on that. That was a, you know, people probably think dustmen carrying people's rubbish, but that was a phenomenal job. Really interesting. All the characters as a young man, all the old boys that have been on there for years and years. Some of the old West Indian guys that had come in the 1950s. One of them who insisted that he was a prince, Prince Elijah. You know, there was wonderful, wonderful times. And of course, all the lads on the dust wanted to get tattoos done. So on a Friday when they got paid, they'd come to the kitchen and get tattoos. And on a Saturday and Sunday, other people would come and get them done. So would you say tattoos back in that day were more for what were perceived as the the working class sort of fraternity? I think when we look back in the day, let's say to the mid-1970s, um, which is when I first got an interest, big interest in tattooing, there weren't many tattoo studios around. Most of them that you did see you would see the windows blacked out or boarded out. So you never knew what went on behind them. And I'm sure that in a lot of towns, when there was a heavily tattooed man who was the tattoo artist, he was probably viewed with great suspicion maybe or intrigue by people because it wasn't the industry that it is now. It's a multi-billion pound industry worldwide now, TV programs. I mean, when we look at how the world's, the world's changed in in so many uh, aspects from when we were young. I mean, our grandparents, if we told them we're going to have a phone in the year 2018 that you can phone anywhere in the world, you can walk around with it, you can watch films on it, you can take photos with it, you can play music with it, <laughs> they'd be saying you're crazy. Yeah, and which is more powerful than the NASA computer that sent man to the moon. If you had have said to an old-time tattooist, one day... There's going to be royalty there. Well, not royalty because royalty have had tattoos before. But if you're going to say that loads of famous sporting people, celebrities, actors, actresses are going to have tattoos, it's going to be on the television, it's going to be on advertising. They would have thought you were crazy. But that's the way life's gone. It's just the bubble, I keep saying, is going to burst. But it's been just growing and growing for the last 30 years. So just go back a step. What was it that first led you to become interested in? I, I've, I've read your book, your your most recent book, Tattoo and Illustrated Miscellany, which is which is fascinating. And in your introduction there, I think you talk about spending some time in Brighton, around the lanes and wandering around there and seeing a tattoo shop. My earliest introductions to tattooing, there, there's been various stages that led to me actually becoming a tattoo artist. And... I would say that one of them was that I had family that had been in the army and the navy that had tattoos. And as a young child, you would see these. My uncle Peter and my uncle Fred, they'd both been in the navy. They both had ships tattooed on their arms with the names of the places they'd been. My dad's brother, Sandy, he had a tattoo of Egypt, one of Malta. And when we're talking about how things have changed, you know, when I was a, a child in the 1960s, we, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the TV the way it is now. So the names and places and that we saw were either through encyclopedias, National Geographic magazine, and on somebody's arm. And coupled with that, my grandfather, I was brought up for a great much of my life by my grandmother and grandfather. My grandfather loved pirate films, films with the sailing ships. And, you know, you used to sit there and watch them with him. So the big rigged ships that you'd see in Captain Blood and Treasure Island and all those things filled my mind with a kind of wonder. And then in 1975, I picked up a book. It was called uh, Skin Deep, Art, Sex and Symbol. It was written by uh, two Royal Navy 
guys, Scott and Gotch, one had been a surgeon in the Royal Navy. And it was a book mainly of sailors' tattoos. At the same time as this book came out, there was a massive rock and roll revival in England, big Teddy Boy revival. There were lots of different groups, Crazy Cavern, Flying Saucers. Every pub had a, a music room in it. There was a lyceum on the Strand where we'd go to Fishmonger's Arms, Wood Green, Bumbles in Wood Green, the Orange Tree Fire and Barnet. Every night I was at a different rock and roll thing. I had all the, the suits, the drape suits, much to the consternation of my grandmother because my dad had been a teddy boy, but he'd also been a bit of a bad boy and spent some time in prison when, when I was a child. So in their mind, the teddy boy was the worst thing you could ever be. But the Teds all had tattoos. And so I guess as a young person, I've always I've always had this kind of conservative side of my attitude, which by that I mean I always pay bills, I'm never in debt. But I've also got this wild side, which my my family on my mum's side always used to say, oh, that's the Irish in you coming out. Because my dad was Irish, they always thought anything that I did that was perceived as being wrong was the Irish side coming out, you know. So I kind of got it's not an anti-social side but it's i really liked and i still do like to be in the company of people that may be seen as a bit different so do you think i was i was going to ask you this anyway but do you think people who are, have tattoos and you're obviously covered at, uh, i can't say your whole body but you, you seem to be covered pretty much head to toe in tattoos are exhibitionists by nature or because i mean you've, you've said you're conservative on the one hand but you like to be a little bit non-conformist on the other I'm sure there's some people that are exhibitionists. Some people might say that tattoos are a kind of psychological armour that we wear, same as people that are heavily pierced. I guess everyone has their own reasons for being tattooed. One thing is for sure that in the last 10 to 15 years, it has become such a massive fashion statement. It can never, ever be underestimated how much influence the tattoos that David Beckham had on on people worldwide it's just incredible i mean you know he was such a sporting icon and when he got tattooed i mean you could never imagine when alf ramsey was manager of england that a player would have his neck and hands tattooed and his arms it's you know so it has got that fashion thing plus years and years ago there was a certain element of tattooing that was a journey into the unknown you know like i was saying about the shops having the windows blacked out when you stepped across the threshold of that building you didn't know what character you were going to meet behind the door. And trust me, over the years, you know, I, I've mixed with tattoo artists worldwide. I've been tattooed by Yakuza tattooists in Japan. I've been tattooed in the, in the jungle in Borneo. I've been tattooed in Tahiti. So I've, I've seen it from all different, different aspects and that. But there used to be a fear and a trepidation. But now that's gone because tattooing is an open door. Everyone can see it. There's no secrets in tattooing anymore. There's no trade secrets. Before it was a closed shop. It was a really closed shop. Well, as I said, I mean, this is my first experience of even coming into a tattoo shop. So there was a there is a mystique to somebody like me who's got no understanding of never been tattooed and never really had a desire. Although there's something inside me still says, maybe I should have a tattoo. There's still that sort of maybe not maybe you should be the one person in the world that hasn't got one <laughs> yes i'd be unique maybe i'd be worth something but just going back to your first ever experience of yourself being tattooed i think you said that was in brighton when no no the, okay the my my first experience of being tattooed was by a tattooist called he went under the name of dave cash and he worked in eldon road in wood green north 22 he had a tiny little tattoo studio next to a cafe 
And I can remember I went there on February the 8th, 1976. I'd got his card off a table from the Fishmonger's Arms at a rock and roll dance. And I had a very good friend called Tony G, who on a how mad life is. I went to school. This kid was older than me. He was a teddy boy, a couple of years older than me, kind of became friends with him. And turns out him and his family lived in the house that my nan and granddad used to live in. So it was kind of weird. And he had a few tattoos. He'd had them done from a guy called Ben Gunn. Ben Gunn was a character who tattooed in Chingford and he tattooed out his house. And the unusual thing about Ben's was that opposite his house was a bus stop. So you had to queue up at the bus stop in the morning as if you were waiting for a bus. And at 11 o'clock, he'd open the door and the first 10 people who got through his door got tattooed. So it must have seemed quite weird for the people who live around there to see all these people queuing at a bus stop, watching the buses go past. They didn't get on, but at 11 o'clock, they, they bolted across the road. But then getting back to Dave Cash's, Dave was a teddy boy as well. And I remember he had really piercing blue eyes. He had a thumb missing. And I, I've, I was a little bit intimidated by him because he did look like he could really handle himself. And, How old were you at this time? Uh, 17. I was meant to be 18, but I remember I, I kind of wasn't sure on the day if I really wanted to get tattooed in the end. I'd have been to his shop a few times with Tony and I'd seen the design I wanted. It was a, a panther's head with a, a dagger through it. And... I can remember on the day he said, how old are you? And I went, oh, 17. And he went, oh, I can't tattoo you, you know, unless you could get someone to say you're 18. I was thinking, well, maybe this is a sign I'm not meant to get tattooed. At which point Tony said, oh, I'm his older brother, I'll sign for it. So I then can remember, you know, that he put the stencil onto my arm and sat me down, started tattooing me. And then I started to feel a bit wobbly. And he uh, was really good. He said, oh, it's okay. You're just feeling nervous. And one of the things years ago, even in our own studio here, you used to get loads of fainters. You could always tell when someone was going to faint. Nowadays, it's so rare. So that tells me that the fear factor played a big part years ago in when people got got tattooed. Anyway, I ended up, I got this panther and dagger done. What, as what appealed to you about a panther with a dagger? It was... I don't know, a real sort of just traditional tattoo design. You know, when you look back at the old old designs, tigers, panthers, sharks, eagles, predatory creatures, really. There's a panther behind your head, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, yeah. Yeah, they were always sort of popular designs. And where did, where did you have it? Where was your first tattoo? Uh, it was on my upper arm, okay. on my upper arm. How did you feel when, I mean... Were you elated when you came out? Were, were you nervous what your I was, grandparents were going to say to you? Well, I knew that I had to keep the tattoo hidden, except it got infected, which then meant I had to confess to having the tattoo done. And they said, serve you right. Go to the <laughs> hospital, Barnet General, and get some antibiotics for it. But that was, you know, back in the day, they didn't even, they used the same needles on everyone. They didn't use sterilization. It was quite primitive, really, to think back. So... You've obviously had, uh, I mean, how many tattoos do you have now? Well, I don't know, hundreds. Hundreds. I've been tattooed by over 80 different people around the world. So I, I kind of, I was quoted in a book once as saying in the diary of life, tattoos are just inky memories. And a lot of the tattoos I've got are things that I've had done in on my travels and they mean something to me personally. You know, I enjoy 
the fact that sometimes I look at them, they remind me of things. They, you know, they, some of them tell stories. That was going to be the title of one of my books. Every picture tells a story. So is that why you think people go for tattoos now? Do you, do, or do you think it's more because everything is so visual with Instagram and as you say with David Beckham is you know an iconic character? Do you think people are just following fashion trends and fads or they, they, it's because they really... I mean, I, I can't really tell you why my daughter has suddenly gonna, got three tattoos. But the the thing is, tattoos are much more socially acceptable now. There, as I said, there isn't a fear thing to them. There's probably not as much prejudice towards them as there used to be. I mean, I was in Northern Ireland um, working at a tattoo convention, and I went to go to a pub to get something to eat, and I was with a couple of other people, and because we were tattooed, they were just like, "No, you're not coming in. You're not coming in." And it, it was kind of like, "Wow," you know, because it, it was the first time that I'd experienced anything like that. So as we say, you know, now it's much more acceptable. One of the things I will say is that I think that in the future, laser removal is going to be a huge, huge industry in the tattoo world because I'm a bit old school in the fact that we don't do all over the neck, all over the hands. On people that have got body suits, you know, full tattooing, we, we will do that because they're taking it to the next sort of that's what the space they've got left but we don't do any facial tattooing in my shop um, we see a lot of people with faces done and I, i'm just old school like that i kind of as much as possible like to have tattoos where they can be hidden with clothing and yet you've got a tattoo around your neck yeah but i but the thing is i i'm 60 years old i work as a tattoo artist you know i was I mean, I had my hands tattooed last year, but, you know, I was, I was like 59 years old getting them done. So, so you're, you're a walking advert for your own profession in, in, yeah. in many respects. So, I mean, some of the myths that there are about uh, being tattooed, you know, does it hurt? Can they be removed? What happens if you make a mistake? The artist makes a mistake and it comes out with a wrong spelling or it's not what you want? Well, let's start with these things you've mentioned. In our studio... When somebody is having writing done, we make them fill out a form that says they have checked everything that has been written prior to, to doing it. Because there's, in the tattoo world, there's some great stories. You know, the guy who had um, Tottenham Hopster tattooed <laughs> on him, the guy who had Motto Head exploded, where letters have been left out of. These are real stories. Yeah, yeah. One of the greatest ones ever. And I kick myself to this day that I didn't take a photo of it. But the guy was so upset. When Lady Diana was killed, a guy came in and he said, I've had a tattoo done at another studio. Can you help me? And it was a rose. And it said, Lady Diana, in memory of Lady Diana, Princess of Wales. And they'd spelt Wales like the (laughs) large sea creature. (laughs) Dear. So you do see spelling mistakes. I had a friend of mine said a guy went in his shop. He wanted his kid's name in huge letters across his stomach. It was quite an unusual name. And he said, then the guy went back there and said, you've spelt it wrong. And he said, but that is the the name you gave me. And the guy went, yeah, but I spelt it wrong, but you've spelt it wrong. So in our studio, as I said, we have, we've had people come in that don't even know how to spell their children's names. They don't know their dates of birth. So that's why they have to fill a form out so we don't want them to have a mistake there is no tattoo artist in the whole wide world who has never made a mistake on a tattoo what's the worst one you've done um years ago i did a did a tattoo 
a rock and roll tattoo is in memory of Eddie Cochran, who died in a car crash in 1960. And he had a song called Cherished Memories. And I left an H out of it. So it said Cherry Said Memories. <laughs> and the guy still got that on him. And one of the other ones was a friend of mine wanted his daughter's name. And he just said, you know, can you do a little cherub with Kelly written on it? So I just wrote Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y. And then at the end, he went, oh, no, it was I-E. If only they were worth more, like a, a stamp with a mistake on it. You know? Yeah. So, you know, there are there are things like that. Sometimes you can have a customer who moves. I mean, one of the things now is people never used to have mobile phones. People are so wedded to their mobile phones that sometimes they leave them on the side. You might be doing a tattoo and the phone goes off and they reach for it straight away. I mean, you... Everyone listening to this will see the people that's walked out in front of a car, bumped into you in the street. The, the mobile phone, it's just an addiction that is beyond belief. So, yes, there are mistakes that tattooists have made, for sure. So going back, painful or not painful? Or were they, did they used to be painful and now that the equipment is better? Years ago, they used to use the same needle over and over again. So I don't know if that would have hurt more or less, whether it became less sharp. Certain areas hurt sometimes depending on how you're feeling on the day. It can make a, a difference if you're feeling a bit low. Um, if you're feeling super happy, it can be different. They do cause a discomfort. As I said, some places are more painful than others. It depends on the, on the individual. What's the most painful part of the body to tattoo? Where you've got movement, sort of joints, the back of the knee, the inner elbow, the armpit are sore. The ribs is sore. The top of the feet are sore. So, you know, but it's one of those things. If you, dis I mean, I always say to people, we work, apart from Saturdays when we have what we call a walk-in day when people can come and get small little tattoos done, all our work is done by appointment. So we have a consultation with the people and we always try and advise them beforehand on placement, design. So you have, you, you can prepare yourself mentally knowing that you're going to be under the needle for, say, two hours or if it's going to be an all-day session. And we help the people through it. So, you know, we're, we're used to dealing with that now. In your latest book, um, Tattoo and Illustrating Miscellany, you've, you've got, which I, I repeat, is, is beautifully put together and uh, illustrated. You've got pictures of all the various types of machines and equipment that are used and needles. I mean, they look pretty good. They look like implements of torture summer <laughs> i mean have they changed much over the years There's, there seem to be a couple of different styles of machinery that you use basically there are two types of machine one is called a coil machine that works like an electromagnet and the other one is called a rotary machine which is a motor that spins around i always say to people when they ask about this it's a bit like the car you know a motor car has got four wheels and a steering wheel but if you look at the earliest cars ever made to the latest technology ones, technology does improve everything. So there's machines now that some of the old machines are still good, but the new ones, because it's such a big industry, there's a lot of research into it. There's lots of different styles of tattooing that require different types of machinery. So when you say about they look like instruments of torture, there is also another saying that the fear of a punch is worse than the punch. And that's a little bit like with tattooing. The, the fear of it can be worse than the actual procedure. I wanted to ask you about your own artistic ability. I mean, how artistic do you have to be? Because obviously I think you follow stencils and patterns, but you've got presumably you've still got to have a degree of artistic ability and now to, to do this profession. In the tattoo world, there used to be 
as saying, you know, are you a tattooist or are you a tattoo artist? Now, in the early days of tattooing, a lot of people use what they call stencils, which is where you have a stencil that you put on the arm and you draw around it. People used to say that's a tattooist. The people that would do freehand work and very artistic work, they say we're a tattoo artist. I mean, that's how it used to be. Now, one of the things that has happened years ago, lots of people who probably wanted to be tattooists were kept out of the business by intimidation, threats, violence. You know, there's there's plenty of documented uh, evidence of places being torched, firebombed, people being beaten up, people being maimed. Because years ago, there were so few people that got tattooed compared with today that people kind of protected their turf, if you like. And because of that, there were people that probably would have been fantastic tattoo artists who were put off by coming into the trade. Now, as I said, there's no secrets, all the equipment is available. So there's a lot of people that have come into the trade that weren't tattooists, that were artists who've become tattooists. And for the, on the same token, there's tattooists that have become artists. So with artistic merit, there's there's so many different mediums out there that so where do you sit on the spectrum are you an artist are you naturally gifted as an artist i, I if i'm really honest i don't i've always had self-doubts about what i do even though i've been in the business for for many years i like to have other artists here who do different styles because i feel that you all influence each other i mean from my own personal point of view you know i think i'm a capable tattoo artist but i'm always willing to learn i still enjoy learning the books that i've done previously the tattoo showcase the mammoth books tattoo masters with that they've all been people who i've admired their work so we've showcased their work and i think that's one of the interesting things about the tattoo world now years ago when everyone worked from stencils it was just a person's rendition of the same stencil. So say the panther I had with a dagger, if you had have seen it done by somebody in Yorkshire, Lancashire, in Wales or Scotland, it would have been basically the same design, but just their take on it. Now, there are just so many artists that work in all different genres within tattooing. I mean, even at my own shop now, there's six artists who work here, but we all work in different styles. And are you known for a particular type of style or genre? Well... I guess I made my name a lot in the punk rock era because I was, from being a teddy boy, uh, when punk came along, I suddenly, was, that was just like somebody putting on a switch. It was amazing. It was just, you saw the leather jackets painted, the brightly colored hair, fanzines, uh, the record covers. And I saw that there was a market there. There was a market for people to get those tattoos because most tattoo studios weren't doing that most of the old timers were like what is this that's going on i mean by by that time i was working part-time at a really famous tattoo studio that used to be in pentonville road in king's cross king's cross in the 1970s early 1980s was a very rough dangerous place to be a lot of prostitution a lot of drugs and there was this guy called jock they used to call him big jock and he worked in this tiny little studio behind a sex shop with a brothel upstairs in King's Cross. Amazing stories about that place. It's another one you could do a whole podcast on. This this guy's place was very, very old. You could hear the trains rumbling underneath. I remember one time 
I'd, I'd gone down to see him and then gone to meet my girlfriend from King's Cross and it was when the, the IRA were putting bombs in London and uh, as I walked towards the station suddenly there was mad panic everyone was running police and everything they were saying that we think there's a bomb in the station so I went back to Jocks to tell him listen I think you should he lived in, in, in Sheerness in Kent I said I think that you should go and he did this mad speech about how the Luftwaffe, Hermann Goring's Luftwaffe, couldn't have shifted him during the Second World War. But it turned out he didn't even work there in the Second World War. <laughs> he hadn't gone there till the 1970s. But it was, um, you know, that was an amazing, amazing place as well in, in London history. It's gone now. It's it's a Five Guys Burger Bar part of that now. And, and what of Jock? Is he around anymore? Is he? No, sadly, he died. Jock was... Jock was a very intelligent man and a very interesting character, but tattooing was just to him really a way of making a few bob. You know, he was happy to have other people doing the work for him, really. The great story about his shop once, the the toilet was in the in the basement of this shop and it was like going into a dungeon. You couldn't see, there were no lights. It was a crazy, crazy old place. And when you went to go into his shop, if you imagine walking along a long corridor, you'd see a door and a mirror and you could see his reflection in the mirror and he could see you. He had an electric uh, operated door to let you in because it was so rough. But as you walked along this corridor, just as it veered off, there was the steps down to the basement. Anyway, in the winter, the shop was, was, was really cold. You used to have a little paraffin heater in there, you know, that lovely smell of paraffin. And one of my friends had, had been working there and he said in, in the summer, they started to smell really, really bad at the shop. And uh, in the end, when they investigated, sadly, somebody, a derelict, uh, you know, tramp, had gone into the, the basement probably in the winter to try and find some warmth to sleep and had gone into one of the little alcoves and passed away and then kind of defrosted or decomposed <laughs> as the weather got warmer. But, you know, the, the, the stories about the old-time tattoo artists were fantastic. There was another old guy called Ronnie Ackers who tattooed down in Portsmouth, a place called The Arches, and legend has it that he was tattooing a guy who suffered a heart attack and died. Whilst he was under while the he needle. was tattooing oh, him. Okay. So they got the payment out of his wallet for the tattoo and then carried him out and left him against the wall of a bar next door. Fantastic. And people probably think that things like this didn't happen, but things did happen. You know, as I said, I, I, I've been involved in this business for a real long time. And some of the old timers I met, especially like in America and that crazy, crazy stories there. So did you get involved in any sort of gangster type situations or you know the the gangs that were in london earlier in the 70s no always been a bit of a loner really and as i mentioned before my dad spent a bit of time in prison not for anything that was too bad i mean now you'd probably get a smack on the wrist the way our judicial system is but he always used to say to me you know promise your mum that you, you never get into trouble and you know i did get into trouble sometimes and probably had a few lucky escapes as most young people do silly things but I have never been a person that runs with gangs of people I've always been a bit of a loner and doing this job it's brought you in touch with people from gangs if that makes sense because when I was younger where I lived I lived in Fry and Barnet there was a big pub called the Orange Tree and this pub used to have music had a dance hall out the back but it used to have Gangs from Muswell Hill, 
from Finchley, from Barnet. So those people would have little scuffles and fights and everything. But being the tattoo artist, I tattooed them all. So I was kind of the, the guy who knew everyone. Gangs in London, there's always been gang related problems and that you know as we even see today i mean it's probably at the worst it's ever been now sadly yes probably more across ethnic divide than it probably was more yeah i mean one of the one of the funny things uh, when i first started tattooing is that the majority of people that got tattooed were male 18 to 35 year old white people you know being in this part of london funnily enough we did used to get a lot of cypriot people because there was a big Cypriot population. And of course, when there was the invasion of Cyprus, a lot of people came and got the map of Cyprus or the Dove. You know, that was interesting. Now we, we find there's people from such a, a diverse ethnic backgrounds that come and get tattooed. And it makes it quite interesting because we were one of the first shops, I feel, that started to tattoo a lot of black customers. I mean, very few black people used to get tattooed until we started to see hip hop come along and also the basketball players, you know, Dennis Rodman and people getting tattooed. And then it opened up a whole nother, another sort of market. And it's really interesting. We get a lot of Asian people come in and you start to see the specific designs that they get and the transference of them to sort of Westerners, if you like. So it's, it's quite interesting. You know, I mean, London has always been a constantly evolving city. You know, it's it, for, for everything that London makes you feel sad about when you see sad things. I mean, the history of London, I, I, I did a program once with Billy Bragg and I, we were actually talking about England, but you could say the same thing with London. If we were to be able to project ourselves 300 years into the future or regress 300 years and see what London was or what it's going to be, it can never, ever remain a constant. It, it's just evolving all the time. And that's what, as you correctly say, makes it so special. And it's precisely why... I've got you doing this podcast and why people like you are on the podcast because I want to get to the heart of people's stories. You know, the changing nature of London is what makes it so fascinating, the personalities. London itself, it can be the most inhospitable place. It can be hostile. It can be very, very lonely for a lot of people and frightening. And on another side, it can be the most vibrant invigorating fantastic place to be it can just be absolutely wonderful and you know one of the things I think I've said before for me I love to go in my garden we've got some robins that actually come in our house you know my mate was saying that he got a woodpecker come in his garden the other day you know and when I walk my dog in the mornings especially if it's really really early there's two things I love to see. One is there's green woodpeckers in a local park and they've got this mad undulating flight and if they get disturbed, they make this cry and off they go. And if the sun is starting to break through, the minute it hits that bird, you get this wonderful green flash as the bird, you know, I keep trying to sneak up on them to get a better look, but they're just whoosh, away. And the other thing that is that I love seeing, much as people say they're vermin, I really like seeing foxes, you know, at, at the house, sometimes the security light goes on and there's a little one in the garden, but I, I just like seeing them 
when they're casually strolling around places. The other week, I had a friend over from America. We were just going down the road, broad daylight, and who's walking up the road? Mr. Fox. They couldn't believe it. So, so there's quite a dichotomy in your personality then. But I think because a lot of people, if they saw you walking down the street, you know, with your shorts on, covered from head to toe, they would be a little bit wary, perhaps. Yeah. Because, well, I think I think they probably would. You you might not be aware of it, you know, because of the circles that you mix in. But people are still a little bit wary of people who are tattooed up, you know, all, all over. Maybe not the odd one. But then you talk quite poetically about, you know, the birds and the bees and foxes. And I'm with you. I'm all over that. I think that's fantastic. So I mean, it's great for people to understand yeah. that it's not tattoo. You know, people covered in tattoos are not hard bother boys. One of my favourite things is that I've got this favourite restaurant I go to that the guy and his family have run since 1981. And I'm sure people have seen me there when I might have had one glass of wine too many. But there's a whole group of people in there that I'm kind of friends with in the most bizarre ways. One of them is an old Jewish lady. She's in her late 90s. And... She just said to me, hello, dear, oh, I really like your tattoos. And I, I got chatting to her. And in the course of talking to her and becoming friends with her, she was telling me that her brother used to be a singer in the Ambrose Orchestra, a famous orchestra. So I asked the guy who owns the restaurant, could he get me the iPad? And I went onto YouTube and I got the Ambrose Orchestra up and there was film of her brother singing. And it's the first time she's seen her brother singing and it was on film and this old lady and we sat there and she's like a friend. There's another old boy that goes in there and his wife passed away, you know, and I saw him sitting on his own and just said, Danny told me, you know, your sad news. If you'd like to have some company, come and sit with me. I got chatting to him and this guy was in the British Olympic squad in the 1960s as a fencer. And another another story, for as I said, this restaurant has got a real special place in my heart. There used to be an old man called Jerry Goldberg that I used to sit next to. I used to before I was with my partner, it was, I used to make a joke about this place. Every Thursday I'd go and eat in there and it seemed to be either... Where is this place? In, in Fry and Barnet, okay. the Franco's restaurant. Okay. But it used yes. to be lots of people sitting on their own. Yeah, I know it. I know and the place. This old guy, Jerry Goldberg, I got chatting to him and he told me that, you know, he'd had a fortune and lost a fortune. He loved Chelsea Football Club. He, he, he'd grown up in the East End. There'd been the Battle of Cable Street and such things. And I just used to sit with him and we'd just chat, you know. And then one day Danny had said, you know, that Jerry had passed away and we should send a, a card to the family, which we did. And I just signed it, the tattoo man. I never, ever told him what my name was. He never called me by my name. And one of the loveliest things was I was in there one night eating and this group of people came in. They said, excuse me, you're the tattoo man. And I said, yeah. They said, oh, we're Jerry's family. We just wanted to say thank you for spending the time chatting with him. And one of the interesting things from that is I came up with an idea for a film and there was a TV pr producer in there and scriptwriter. And I got chatting with him and he's been in quite a lot of things and he's really well known. And we got chatting about a couple of ideas, which he did take to the, the BBC. Um, unfortunately, because of cuts and because of if you're doing period dramas, unless you're a really great writer or something, it's not going to happen. But the idea is definitely going to happen one day if I, if I can get it all down on paper. We look forward to that. Yeah, it could be interesting. But it seems to me that you're obviously a good listener as much as anything else and good at socialising with people from all strands of society. 
it's a bit like a hairdressing salon when people come in here. They, they tell their stories, you know, about you, know, you got to listen to them and partake in their, you know, their lives as well. So you, you're very much part of their lives because after they walk out of here, they're carrying a piece of your art on them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I mean, some tattoo artists say that we're unpaid counsellors, but I can't, there's various things I say. One is that I always say, they say an Englishman's home is his castle, but for a tattoo artist, it's their castle and they are king, prime minister. I mean, lots of tattooists, when you, because they're in a shop all day, they start talking about things. I'm sure people think we're like preachers, we're like politicians, whatever. But on the other side of the coin, life experiences and things that happen shape you. And in my studio, one of the things, three years ago, my daughter died. And I found that one of the things that's kind of, help me deal with it is that I get people coming in here that have suffered tragedies as well because I'm three years down the line of understanding bereavement there's a lot of people that have come here we had a young kid who I know his grandparents his parents I knew the, the mother when she was a child he was killed by a hit and run driver 16 years old and all the family came here but I was able to sit with them chat with them as well as do memorial tattoos for them and that's happened with a lot of people. And I just feel that somewhere in, in my life, perhaps part of my vocation is to be able to offer some support and advice to people because, you know, I know from going for it myself, some people shy away from you. They're very, very unsure how you broach talking to somebody. When I've got people here, we're able to sit down and chat. I mean, we do you know what some of the stories that you get we had a guy phone up and he said my son's booked in with you guys for a tattoo um i'm not sure what he was going to get but I, i'd like to take his appointment anyway he came to see us his son was crossing the road was waiting to cross the road two boy races one of them went up on the curb and killed him he was from coventry he was at university but the dad had the tattoo the son was going to have and there's a lot of things in this trade, I mean, that I can say that bring your feet back firmly on the ground. I mean, I've, I've had some wonderful things in this trade. You know, I've been in TV programs, been in adverts, met famous people. As a result of that, I've been sort of wined and dined, taken to places, you know, red carpet at a mobile awards, things like that that are just amazing. But, you know, sometimes just sitting and being able to sort of, figuratively put your arm around someone and give them something that maybe just makes them feel a little bit better at a time of great sadness that's more rewarding than the other things that happen do you think that's why you've been in the same position for so many years because you feel part of the community this is your home and where you belong when i first got this shop it was an old grocer's shop and it had been left empty for a while, although the people who owned it lived upstairs. So when I when I first got it, I came here. Next door was an ice cream factory. There was a pub there. There was a bus garage. A lot of the community's gone now. It's all been made into flats. It's very quiet around here. It used to be much more vibrant, I feel, because there was a, like I say, a pub, a bookmaker. There was a, a handbag factory there, Dr. Scholl's factory. You know, lots of things have changed around here. But I've, I've been here for a long time, but I bought the shop, you know, 
I had an opportunity to to buy this premises. That's why I've stayed here. I mean, people would who come here would say, why is there a tattoo studio in Sydney Road in the middle of nowhere? But back in the day, it was impossible to get a shop on a main road financially and also because of the nature of the trade. But one of the interesting things about how I got this shop, which is a very mad story, is that when I was working out of my kitchen in Beaconsfield Road, it was owned by some Italian people. They owned the house and they were devout Italian Catholics and they lived next door. And I got on really, really well with them and everything was fine. But they had a son who got cancer. He was, I think, 10 years old and he got terminal cancer. So they were going through a terrible time. At the same time as this was going on, a group of lads I know, where Free and Hospital was, as soon as you went through the gates of it, to the right, which is a very expensive house now, which I don't know if the people know, that was the mortuary. And because I worked at the hospital, one of the duties I had was mortuary duty. So I used to tell my friends, oh, you know, that's the mortuary. These guys had a few drinks and thought it would be funny to get in the mortuary and leave a body on my doorstep with a note saying, tattoo me. They got into the mortuary, they got a coffin out and then got disturbed, but they nicked the coffin and left the coffin in the garden. The next morning, Mrs. Lamberti came out, saw this coffin, blew her mind and said to me, you've got to go, you've got to go. It didn't matter that I didn't put it there. It was because in the, the association in their mind, it was a terrible thing. So that was the end of Beaconsfield Road, which had great memories as well. And one of the guys I told said, my dad's got a shop. So I started to rent this shop way, way back in the day, way back, 1982, and eventually got the uh, option to buy it, which I did. And that's why I've been here ever since. Mm. Well, it's a wonderful place. Just, just describe briefly the, the layout and what we've got on each area. Well, initially, the downstairs was one big room, which was the grocer's shop, and out the back was a little kitchen and a bathroom, and upstairs was a flat. But now, when you walk in, there's a waiting room. There's a downstairs working area for two artists. In the next room, that's a sterilisation room. Then you go through, there's a kitchen, there's a patio area when it's nice and sunny. And then when you go upstairs, there's a really big double room which is almost like a museum and gallery that's where some of the other artists work and there's a little office up there so the whole place is now has been turned over to a tattoo studio well it's an amazing place and um i just wanted to touch briefly on your your latest book i believe it's your latest book yeah tattoo and illustrated miscellany it's a collection of all things related to the art and the business of being a tattoo artist from you know the machinery to business cards to flyers to magazines it's it's a fascinating insight into the world and it really is a, a very unique and separate world i'm just fascinated how you actually came to put this together because you've got contributions from strikes me from all over the world from all different parts of the industry how did you go about what happened with this book it was originally going to be called tattoo esoterica and it was going to be a limited edition, very big book with thousands of thousands of tattoo images. And it was through the publishers, Constable and Robinson. Now, sadly, Nick Robinson, who was the owner of the company, suddenly died. 
And so the company was in a transition period. So rather than these big lavish pr projects that we were looking to do, my, my whole concept for the book was that because the tattoo industry is so big now, because collecting tattoo memorabilia is very big, I had this idea that it was imagining that you bought a house, you went up into the attic and in the corner you found an old portmanteau chest that a sailor had owned and you opened it and it was this tattoo cornucopia. It just kept more and more things. Try Going back to probably my childhood of of interest in, in all things tattoo related. Anyway, in the end, it got to a point that I was put under pressure to downsize the book and then to try and get it out quite rapidly. So basically, it became a very cheap price book, really, you know, reasonably priced book, full of as many tattoo pictures as I could cram in there, different bits and pieces. The idea being that every time you flick through it, you find something of interest. It was, there's so many photographic tattoo books of actual tattoos themselves that I wanted to aim for something different. I, you know, I'd done five books, showcase books, so this one was just something that was a bit different. There's not actually any tattooing in it. It's everything. Well, that, I think, is what makes it different and unique and interesting to people who are not particularly interested in having a tattoo or being tattooed themselves, you know, possibly like myself. It's because it goes through, not in chronological order, but it breaks the industry down into all the sort of relevant component parts, you know, all the badges and signs and autographs and the toys. Who knew there were toys, for you know, for tattoos as well? well? Who'd ever have thought that Disney would have had like a whole range of Moana tattoo toys and that there would have been a film they made with tattoos that come to life and, and talk, you know, yeah, it just shows ceramics you. Ceramics and figurines. And, and the thing is, with the collector market of tattooing, I mean, there's stuff that years ago we would have thrown away for being no good now that equipment is worth lots of money you know to collectors i mean i there was a company called ultra based in in bradford in the back of a sex shop and that's where a lot of us got our first tattooing equipment from and it was rubbish to stuff but now those machines are super collectible yeah, i think you mentioned that in the book yeah, somewhere definitely. yeah no, it's a fascinating book, and I would certainly recommend anybody listening either got no desire to get at her too, but are interested in the industry uh, and the market, and just, you know, social culture as well. To, I'd certainly recommend they get it. It's Tattoo and Illustrated Miscellany by Lal Hardy. I got my copy on Amazon. I can't remember what I paid, but it wasn't expensive, but it's a, it's a beautiful book, well worth getting. So before we wrap up, and thank you very much for your time. No, it's been, been an absolute pleasure. Who are some of the most famous or interesting people you've tattooed? I'm sure people will be interested in. Well, let's split this into two. Some of the most interesting people are not the big celebrities or that. I've tattooed, I've actually tattooed some very interesting people. I tattooed a, a vicar who I was teasing him a bit saying, oh, you know, in Leviticus, it says you shouldn't make marks or cuttings in your flesh. And he just went, you know what? My body's a temple. I want to add some stained glass windows, which was, was, was very cool. One of the interesting people that I tattooed was um, Paddy Hill. He was one of the Birmingham Six okay, yes. IRA yeah. bombers that was then acquitted. Yes. They found out they didn't do it. It was very interesting to actually sit and talk with him as I said, you know, there's lots of lots of people with different life stories, different adventures that they've had, too numerous to mention that are, have been wonderful to talk with. On the side of famous people that have been in, 
I mean, on the, the cricket world, Kevin Peterson, you know, one of the, the highest profile cricketers yeah. ever in this country, maybe controversial to, to some extent. He was really cool. And I'd never been to a cricket match and, uh, you know, he, he got us tickets for Lords. So I actually saw what it was all about. Yeah, I've seen him score a century for uh, England years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the, the music scene, I mean, over the years, Liam Gallagher came. It was funny when Liam Gallagher came here. It was a time he was with Patsy Kensett. And there used to be a pub two doors up. So when Liam was here, he had this thing that he liked to drink and all that. And... I said to him, oh, do you fancy a pint? And he said, yeah, all right. So I ran up to the pub and said to the governor, Willie, who had it, I said, hey, your man from Oasis is in the shop. I said, don't, don't tell anyone in here. And I thought, that's really weird. The pub's quite busy for, for this time of day. And I said, bring him a pint down. So the next thing, his son turns up who wanted to meet him with a tray of beer. Then somebody else and someone else. In the end, it was just ridiculous. There were beers everywhere, more beers than you could ever drink. And I was like, what's going on? And he said, oh, there's a wake in there. I mentioned that Liam was, there was an Irish wake. He mentioned that Liam was there. So well, you want to come everyone wants to come and see him. And that, that was interesting. You know, that bands like uh, JLS, The All Saints, uh, Liberty X, they've been here. Probably Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters is one of the most okay, high yeah. profile people. Vince Neil from Motley Crue, which was interesting because Vince Neil was in a car crash with a guy called Razzle, who was a drummer from Hanoi Rocks, and he died as a result of it. But Razzle was one of my friends and customers from back in the day. So it was a kind of a really strange thing that the person who was in the car with a friend ended up through MTV coming here. Loads and loads of footballers, like lots of the Tottenham footballers, lots of the Arsenal ones. The least said about Spurs, the better. You and I have already commiserated each other on that. But I'll say one thing. This area is a very big Arsenal area. And when Emmanuel Adibayor was at Arsenal and he came and got tattooed, word got round because in this road you don't expect to see the big vehicles that they have parked out here. I swear this is true. So many people turned up. The whole front of the shop was just a sea of Arsenal fans. And I was tattooing Emmanuel and uh, I said, oh, blimey, look at all them people. And he said, you know, when, when I finish my tattoo, I'll, anything they've got, I'll sign it. So I went out there and I said to him, right, listen, everyone, please just calm down, form an orderly queue. And one thing I say about him, he had his photo done with everyone. He signed everything people bought in and, you know, he was a proper gentleman like that. And yeah, well, he also knew tragedy in his life as well, didn't he? <laughs> Man, I spoke to him about being on that coach yeah. when they opened fire on things. I mean, there's been people that have come in the shop that are maybe celebrities or sports people that I've had the time to sit and talk with. One thing I say to anyone listening to this, that just because somebody has got millions of pounds doesn't mean that they haven't got demons in their head or problems or issues or understanding life. You know, especially for a lot of the young people that are suddenly thrust into the limelight and that. And one of the other things is when that limelight is taken away, you know, uh, for some of them, you wonder whether they've got the right guidance around them. And there's a lot of people, you know, I would never sell a story to a newspaper. I would never divulge names or anything. But I've, I've been in the lucky position of being able to sit down and through my own life experiences, been able to talk to some people and you know stayed friends with them and still be in touch with them so without divulging names this could be for example footballers who have discarded from a top team no longer 
I mean, one of the one of the things I will say about footballers is that you know you get sometimes the chance to meet young ones that are on the periphery, and they come in with others that have made it, and you do wonder to yourself. I wonder how it must feel for them. I had one young lad who you know he had a, a great career in front of him until they found out he had a heart condition, and that was it. Career finished. I mean, how sad must that be to you know you you you've been with a club a long time and you it, you're looking like you're going to make the big time and then suddenly something terrible happens. You know, I mean, one one of the 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 players that came here and got tattooed, it was such a nice lad, was Ryan Mason. Oh yes, you know, and he suffered that terrible injury, and I really hope that it, you know that his punditry career really takes well, off. I was listening to him on the radio, I think yesterday on the car. Such a such a nice guy. He's now doing his uh, coaching badges at, uh, through Spurs as well, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. yeah, I mean, seems a really nice guy. He 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 is really really cool. Mm. Well, I think um, we'll wrap it up there. So, thank you ever so much. It's been a real treat and, no, a, and good. A, a privilege to, to be shown around your uh, your place of work and for you to tell all your, your, your stories. And um, how can people, if they want to find out a bit more about you and your books and you know social media, how can they get in touch with you? Well, you can go to www.newwavetattoo.co.uk. That's the website. It's being rebuilt at the moment, so don't panic if it goes a bit squiffy. Or if not, you can get us on Instagram at Lau Hardy or at New Wave Tattoo. Perfect. And as we said, the book as well, Tattoo and Illustrated Miscellany by Lau Hardy. You can get that at Amazon, I think, along with your uh, your various other books as I well. I think they're all available on Amazon. And if, if you look at the used ones, you'll probably get them cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Lau, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you ever so much. No problem. Thank you.